Hi, this is Jimmy Evans with Marriage Today. This podcast is dedicated to equipping families with the teaching and tools they need to succeed. We hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more marriage building content. So this message is called Becoming One's Soul. Talk about being soulmates with your spouse. Another title for this message could be Becoming Soulmates. And so, and I think it's important. You know, I think that there's a lot of misinformation uh, in our world today about becoming soulmates. And this is a perfect message for every single person or divorced person, you're not married, but also for every married person because it is important that we're soulmates, but there's so much misinformation that can actually set us up for failure. And I want to talk to you about how you can become soulmates and have the marriage of your dreams. And I want to begin by saying Karen, Karen Evans is my soulmate. We've been married for 40 years. Um, but a week before we got married, my friends threw me a bachelor party and I was unfaithful. I cheated on Karen. And I, again, that's just who I was. And um, Karen told me she wouldn't marry me a week before we got married uh, because of how wild and immoral I was. And I didn't blame her. And, but the morning after our, my bachelor party is when I received Christ. And I didn't receive Christ because of Karen. I didn't receive Christ because Karen wouldn't marry me. I received Christ because sin lied to me. I was a very good sinner. I was an extremely good sinner. I woke up every day with a desire to sin, and every day I, I went to bed very successful, and uh, but but empty. And I, you know, I had all these things I wanted to do. I I didn't have anything that I wanted to do that I didn't do, you know, sin. But I went went to bed empty, and I would lay in bed empty after parties and fraternity parties and all this, you know, stuff that I did. And I would think, why am I not happy? I feel lonely. You know, and I feel empty. And so the night of my bachelor party was another example. All my friends were there. We did everything that you would think would make you happy. All the things the world says would make you happy. And I went to bed empty and I woke up and I looked at myself in the mirror. And for the first time I felt bad. I had no conscience. I never felt bad about anything I did. I felel good about it. And I woke up that day and I felt bad. And, I, I, and Karen said she wouldn't marry me. I told her what I'd done. And, and I said, Jesus, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. And I'll never turn back. And I've served him all of my adult life and I've never turned back. And, and the instant I invited Jesus into my, my life, that empty place filled up and I became happy. And when I laid in bed at night, I didn't feel alone anymore. Some, something had changed and Jesus told me the truth. And Jesus was the reality in my life that I had been looking for. So Karen told me she wouldn't marry me, but after a couple of days, I lost all my friends that day Um, and Karen began to hear about, you know, the fact that I had changed and lost my friends. And so we began to talk and we decided to go ahead and, and get married in our, our, our wedding. We got married. We had a destination wedding at Karen's parents' house. Uh, <laughs> we got married in her, her parents' living room. It was a very small wedding, very awkward wedding. Her parents hated me and I hated her parents. And I'd only been a Christian for a week. I didn't know I was wrong to hate. So I still hated them. <laughs> And uh, Karen's mother had a Bible study praying that we wouldn't get married, okay? And those were the women doing our wedding. Now this is our wedding picture, okay? Just look at, look at this picture. This is, God love us. God, in, in Karen Beautiful, and I haven't changed a bit. Okay. We had the most awkward wedding ever. And then we, we, we just didn't have a good time on our honeymoon. I can just tell you right now, it was, you know, because I'd been bad the week before and that was still kind of, we tried, you know, to have fun and we tried to act like nothing 
had happened, but it had, and so our honeymoon wasn't that great. We came home early from our honeymoon. We went to Colorado Springs and came home early, and so then our lives together started, and you know, I was a new believer, and we were trying, but I was a jerk and a chauvinist, and and you know, we went to church on Sunday, and I read my Bible every morning, but, but I was a terrible husband. I, played, I worked all the time. I played golf all the time. I didn't meet any of Karen's needs, and after several years of marriage, you know, we were just on the brink of divorce, and, and Karen confronted me one time about playing golf, and I told her to get out of the house. I was tired of her complaining, because I, you know, I just, that was just who I was. And uh, she was in the bedroom crying. I was sitting in the living room thinking, I'm going to lose my marriage. I don't know what to do. And let me, I'm going to pick up here in just a minute, but let me just say, I married my soulmate. And, and I, know, I know that my story kind of pops a lot of bubbles, because there, there are a lot of myths out there about soulmates and, and who your soulmate is and how you find your soulmate. And our story just doesn't fit with that mold. But I want to say, I married my soulmate. And Karen and I have been married 40 years. And she is the love of my life. She's my best friend. And she's my soulmate. I want to tell you three myths, dangerous soulmate myths, that need to be exposed. Because these set us up for failure. And they set us up for wrong expectations. Myth number one is my soulmate will be just like me. This is the first myth. If, if I find my soulmate, they're going to be just like me. In fact, if I really find my perfect soulmate, we, we really won't have to talk because we're just going to be able to sit and look at each other and know what each other's thinking. We're just going to sit in the house all day just giggling. <laughs> That's so funny. And... We just always want to do the same thing, you know, and you say, you know what? Yeah, I know what. Let's go do that, okay. And you just, you're always, you're always just right there. That's what your soulmate is, right? And see, and I think online dating is fine. I know a lot of people have very good success stories with online dating, but the dangerous thing about this online dating is when you go on there and you match in all the categories, even if you match in all the categories, you're very different people. Listen, compatibility is based on character and values, not sameness. You're not the same. You're, if you find your perfect soulmate, they're very, very different than you are. But you meet a person, they're so different, or you married a person, and after marrying them, you find out how different they are, worse than you thought before, because they faked it really good. <laughs> and you wake up and say, that's, that's not my soulmate, because my soulmate's just like me. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're very different. Number two myth about soulmate is if I marry my soulmate, we won't have any big problems and we'll always be in love. And, and this, this has set you up for huge disappointment. But, but the point is, if you marry your perfect soulmate, you're going to have issues that you're going to have to work through. You know, and if you prepare properly and if you, if you marry a believer and things like that, it minimizes those things, but you're still going to have big issues that you work through. But let me say this, it's important to the devil that you believe this. Because if you believe that if you marry your soulmate, your feelings will always be positive and you never have any big problems, then when you wake up one day and your feelings are negative or you don't have any feelings and you're going through problems, that's when the devil whispers into your ear, you married the wrong person. I remember, I remember the nanosecond when Karen and I were fighting and we, we were at that point of fighting all the time and on the brink of divorce and we had a huge fight and she walked off and, I, and the, when she walked off, I remember where I was standing in our house when I thought the thought, she's not the one for me. It, what a tormenting thought to go through you that I'm stuck for the rest of my life with this person 
that I'm not compatible with and they're not my soulmate. Because, because my concept was, at that point, when you marry the right person, it just everything happens right. You don't have to work at it, okay? That's just simply not true. Soulmates are not born, they're made in the trenches of life. And the greatest marriages are not marriages where two people were born with a silver spoon in their mouth and everything went right. The greatest marriages are where two committed believers come together, roll up their sleeves, fight the good fight, and you wake up one day and said, you could have left me 13 times, but you didn't. And you're my soulmate. Another myth about being soulmates is my soulmate will always make me happy and meet all of my needs. No person can always make me happy. The basis of happiness is God. Only, only God can meet our deepest needs and only God can truly give us a foundation of happiness. Let me say, if you have a relationship with God, you can be happy when people are all acting weird. But when you come to an individual and you put the responsibility of a, on a person to make you happy, you've set that person up for failure and yourself up for failure. No person can make me happy all the time. Karen makes me happy a lot. Sometimes she doesn't make me happy. You know, when she turns the cowboy game off. <laughs> you know, when she doesn't want me to watch the ranger or something like that. You know, but... Karen makes me happy, but the basis of my happiness is not Karen Evans. The basis of my happiness is Jesus Christ. Here are the three choices that create soulmates. Number one, choice that I make is empathy. And this research has proved, the most recent research on marriage has proved this is one of the main things that makes good marriages is empathy. The word empathy means understanding and entering into another person's feelings. When we're dating, we're extremely empathetic. I remember being so careful in every word that I spoke because I wanted everything I said to make her feel good and make her like me. That's called empathy. I, I'm, I'm being very careful how I'm making you feel. I'm being very careful and I'm being very sensitive to everything that's going on and how it could make you feel. And that's a choice. And I stopped choosing to care once I had her relationship secured and I began to take her for granted, and I began to verbally abuse her, I began to neglect her, I began to treat her badly, and I didn't care, I didn't care. And when she complained to me about the way that I talked to her and the way I treated her, I didn't care, and that was a choice. And the day that our marriage almost broke up, God got to my heart, finally, and Karen was not the problem, I was the problem. And I woke up and I made a decision, and we were out of love, we were out of like, we had no emotions for each other. We were numb. We had fought so much. So nothing changed in my emotions. But I made the choice to be empathetic. Listen to me. You have two components to your soul, your will and your emotions. And one of the most critical decisions in your life is for your will to rule over your emotions and not let your emotions rule over your will. The Bible calls people who let their emotions rule over their will weak-willed people. A million times in life, a million times in your life, you're going to feel like doing something you shouldn't do. And your will has to be over your emotions saying, you can't say that to them. You can't do that. You've got to be a responsible person. You've got, you've got to subject your feelings under a responsible will. Okay, A million times in life, you're going to need to do something you don't feel like doing. And your will has to be in control. So your will says, emotions, you're going to care. I don't care how you're feeling. 
You're going to care. And I woke up that morning when Karen and I were on the brink of divorce. I woke up that morning and I made the decision to care. Isn't it great that we can do that? It's not luck. It's not fate. It's not chemistry. It's choice. And my soulmate was sitting right there hurting. And I didn't care the day before. And that day I woke up and I decided I'm turning my heart back to Karen And here's the way empathy thinks. Here's the way empathy thinks. I wonder what it would be like to be married to me. And when I woke up that day and I decided to care, I thought to myself, I wouldn't want to be married to me. And sitting in a house all by myself, all day long, taking care of kids, and then to have me walk in the door and not want to talk and not want to participate in the family and not want to open my heart up and not meet any of my needs. What a terrible thing to be married to me. That's, that's the way empathy thinks. I wonder how they feel. I wonder how, my, I wonder how my words are making them feel. I wonder how my silence is making them feel. I wonder how my absence is making them feel. I wonder how my sarcasm is making them feel. That empathy puts itself into another person's feelings and cares, and it's a choice. And the first time you do it, it's instinctive. When you're dating a person, it's instinctive. The second time you do it, it's intentional. I'm not doing it because of a feeling. I'm doing it because I choose you as my soulmate. I'm choosing you as my soulmate. And I'm choosing to care about you. Your soulmate is a person who cares. They care about you. They're a person who's tuned in. That's what we dream about, is being married to a person who cares about us, who's sensitive to us. That's a choice. It's called empathy. The second choice, and by the way, five minutes of empathy a day will resurrect a dead relationship. Five minutes. You sit down five minutes a day and just put yourself in your spouse's place and think, I wonder how they're they're feeling. I wonder what they're going through. I wonder what I can do to help them today. It'll resurrect a dead relationship. Number two choice of being soulmates is the choice of generosity. It's being generous. Proverbs eleven twenty five. 25, the generous soul will be made rich and he who waters will also be watered himself. The generous soul, the generous soul, generosity is a choice. It can have emotion with it, but it doesn't have to. I gave to Karen. When, when I was dating Karen, I gave her words. I gave her kindness. I gave her attention. I gave and I gave and I gave. And out of that, our relationship flourished. I began to talk to her, sit down. We sat down face to face and I said, I'll sit here and talk to you until you're satisfied. I'll talk as long as you want to talk. I thought, A, she's going to suck my brain out. (laughs) And B, I've got to be the greatest man in the history of the world to do this. But let me tell you, it was the most life-giving thing to me, not just to her. But I gave her affection. I gave her communication. I gave her attention. I hung up my golf clubs. I said, I'm not playing golf anymore. And, And I play golf today. Karen said to me one day after our marriage was healed, she said, go play golf. And I said, excuse me, I think I just heard Jesus. But generosity, one of the most important things that we, it's a choice. But I, my soulmate is a person who is a giver. And my soulmate is a person that I invest in. And so, you, you know, you want to be married to a person who's generous with you. And that's, that's what soulmates mean. But it begins with me. It, listen, I'm not going to stand back and demand something from Karen I'm not willing to do. And by the way, you don't just reap what you sow, you reap where you sow. You can sow it in everybody else all day long. But if you're not sowing into your marriage, you're not going to reap from your marriage. And by the way, when you sow your soul, you reap a soul. 
And that's how you become soulmates. When you give your soul to your spouse, you'll reap their soul. And that's how you bond and become one. One more thing. The third choice is the choice of priority. And that is making your marriage first. Marriage only works in first place. It won't work in any other place. It's got to be before your children, before your work, before church, before anything else except your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. In my relationship, I put Karen first, and we do this. When we're dating, when we're pursuing each other, we put each other first, and then the demands of life, the business of life, whatever comes up, we just begin to, in real terms. See, I told Karen that she was first, but she wasn't. Work and golf and friends and everything else were first. But when I hung my golf clubs up and I said no to other things, it proved to Karen in real terms that she was first. Your soulmate is someone who puts you first. Your soulmate is someone who gives to you. Your soulmate is someone who cares about you. But it begins with you. We hope that you're enjoying this program. You know, the, the teaching, Becoming One Soul, Karen, this is our Becoming One mm -hmm. conference that we did, our, our newest conference. And you know, the, this is such an important teaching. I love bringing this teaching because there's so much misinformation about soulmates. You know, and I think it's, when you hear about soulmates today and everyone wanting to marry their soulmate, I think that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a soul mm -hmm. and you know, God wants us to be uh, intimate mm -hmm. in our marriage on, on every level. So it's, it's not wrong that we would want to have soulmates, but I was talking about teaching about the myths of soulmates. Mm -hmm. So many, um, uh, so much of the misinformation that we have. And when we got married, and I told the story of you know how we yeah. met and got married and how, mm -hmm. how dysfunctional it was. Mm -hmm. It was awful. Mm -hmm. You know, that you know, when we got married, you know, I hated your parents, they hated me, I hated all the women in there because they had been praying that we wouldn't get married. And you know, when you think of marrying your soulmate, mm -hmm. we just kind of we didn't do anything right. Mm -hmm. But we ended up being soulmates. Yeah. Because of the Lord. And it was a lot of hard work. That's you know, as yeah. you well know. But um, you know, I think about like you're saying that the society thinks that you just marry your soulmate. And I don't know where that phrase ever came from because it just, yeah. to me, doesn't even make sense because you, you can't marry, you're not marrying a soulmate, you're marrying a person. And, you know, and, and that person is, is to be respected as somebody that's different and, and you're individual. And I think that that's what's so hard is we get married and we think it's going to be just like we're going to be alike, you know, and exactly. we're so different. You know, and there's, and then we start seeing these differences, and that's what makes you think that it's wrong. But it's actually the very thing that God uses to not only bring out the best in your spouse, but it's what helps us to mature and to and to get better in our life and in the life that we live. Well, when we, when we got married, I thought you were beautiful on the outside. I thought you were the weirdest person I ever met on the inside. <laughs> Thank you. And I did. I just thought you're you're weird. She's so weird. And I, and I thought, I've got to change her. I've got, and so my lectures, you know, I remember lecturing you, that's not right, that's mm -hmm. not normal. And you know, you, you get so frustrated. Now what I realize is you were normal. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you right now, a lot of people divorce mm -hmm. because they have this thing in their mind that says, my soulmate would be just like me. Mm -hmm. they, they wouldn't be weird like you. Mm -hmm. They would be just like me. They would want what I want. And so out there on the internet, my soulmate's waiting for me mm -hmm. and I'm spending, I'm wasting my life with you. Mm -hmm. When in fact, we are different by God's mm -hmm. design. And being soulmates is, doesn't mean we're the same. Mm -hmm. It means we make the decisions. And one of the decisions, Karen, is empathy. We mm -hmm. talked talk about that, is caring about our spouse, caring about each other. In other words, it's not a matter of luck. Mm -hmm. It's not a matter of fate or chance. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of choice. Mm -hmm. And you and I, 
ended up on the brink of divorce, mm-hmm. and we began to make certain choices. And one of the choices that we that I made and you made too was to care about each other. Absolutely. To be that your, your soulmate cares about you. Mm-hmm. And I think if you don't have that mindset, it becomes selfish. It becomes self-centered. It becomes self-destructive. And, you know, no one wants to be married to a selfish person. Yeah. And so if, if you are in a frustrated place in your marriage, you know, you know, consider, you know, the next day just waking up and saying, you know, I think today I'm going to choose to not worry about what I'm not getting but what I can give. Yeah. And what can I give into this marriage? What can I do to uh, look into your world to see, you know, what's it like to be you? What is it like to, to work eight to five? And, or what's it like to have five kids, three kids, and all day long, all you see is dirty diapers. What's it like to be you? And to, to, to have that sympathy or the empathy, like you're saying, of putting yourself into their position and then thinking, you know, what would I want you to do for me if I was if I was you, you know, and and come out of your own little world of what you want. Instead, make it about what you can make your your spouse's world better. You know, how can I make your life better for you? And I, I mean, it changes everything. It it does, and I really do. You know, this is a message now that I mean, I, I waited a long time to bring this message. It's a life changer, and I do want to encourage you to get the full resource that we offer today, uh, the Becoming One Conference. This Becoming mm-hmm. One Soul is a life-changing resource that every young person needs to hear, every married couple needs to hear. This is Brent Evans with Marriage Today, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out marriagetoday.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, videos, articles, and live events.